You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Hey, I want to bring up our V Kids pastor, Mary Margaret. Uh, we're going to team teach this morning. Let's welcome Mary Margaret. Mary Margaret is our outreach pastor, and she's also our V Kids pastor. And uh, we've got a fun topic we're going to talk about today as we wrap up this series on authentic love. I come with uh, parameters, I hear. Yes, you do. We're not going to share anything about our personal whatever. Eros. Because, <laughs> because it's inappropriate and oversharing. All right. <laughs> In fact, there are a list of words he cannot say. <laughs> And I'm not going to say them. Yeah, it's funny, you know, Either. we have three daughters uh, who are now 24, uh, 18, and 17. And uh, man, whenever we teach or talk or when I do a talk on, on sex, I get it when I get home. Not, I mean, no, I mean, hey. uh, no. Hey! I'm sorry. I, I, I hear cool. it. I hear it from my daughters. Dad, not you cool. cannot say that. You cannot, you shouldn't do that. That was cringeworthy. But not only now do we have our daughters doing it, their friends are yes. joining in. Yes, and their well friends' say, mothers tell me hey, they don't want to hear Pastor Reese say beep. So. <laughs> so, anyway, so you won't hear that today, all right? You don't uh, know what you won't hear. Yep. <laughs> Anyway, we're going to talk more about, as we continue this, this series, Authentic Love, uh, we've been talking about it throughout the month of February, Valentine's Month, uh, and we've been talking about the authentic article that, of love that is designed, created, and resourced by God, who is love himself. Uh, we began the series, if you were here the first week, talking about the highest form of love, agape love, that selfless, sacrificial love, unconditional love. Uh, the love that God loves us with, and I am so thankful for that. Uh, the goal really is for this agape love to be the foundation of every kind of expression of love that we talk about, every, every expression of love. So this serves as the foundation, the foundation for uh, phileo and for storge, phileo, that committed friendship kind of love, and, and uh, storge, the, the kind of love that Angela talked about, that family love. Uh, it's important for the agape, that unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love to be the foundation uh, of, of uh, these kinds of love. But then for Eros, it's so important to have the foundation of a phileo and storge, that, that the friendship, the commitment, uh, and that this is all rooted in, in this context, a love of husband and wife. And so we're, we're talking about Eros because the Eros or the intimate sexual love, uh, for it to be all that God intended it to be, and let's just remember that sex is a gift from God, all right? It's important for us to remember that. Uh, it's, it's, it's for it to be all that he intended it to be, it must be rooted in phileo, in that committed friendship, uh, in storge, that bond of, of family love between a husband and wife, and again, on the foundation of unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love. 
Um, eros is the Greek word from which we get the word erotic or sexual. And, and like Storge, the word eros actually doesn't appear in Scripture, but there is much said about the wonderful gift of sexuality, uh, the gift of, 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 of love and passionate love. Uh, in fact, the Song of Solomon begins with a beautiful uh, expression of this passionate love, a, a wife for her husband. Uh, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. And the Song of Solomon and many other expressions in Scripture tell us and make it very clear that God intended for married couples to love each other emotionally, spiritually, and also physically. And so Eros is that intimate love that is and should be expressed sexually. Uh, again, God created us for relationship, for an intimate relationship with him and also uh, with each other. And intimacy comes from that Latin word meaning the innermost or that belonging or, or sharing one's secret nature. And in God's perfect design, the highest expression of sexual intimacy is reserved uh, for marriage between husband and wife. And God intended uh, for the marriage relationship to be characterized by intimacy. And we really want to focus on this idea of intimacy this morning. Because as we develop intimacy in our marriage relationships, um, the sex is going to come, all right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's going to happen. And that's a beautiful part of it. But it, it has to be founded on that intimacy. Uh, the verb to know is used in Scripture uh, quite often and, and to talk about the sexual consummation of the relationship. If you look at Genesis chapter 4, it says in the NIV that Adam made love to his wife Eve. In the New King James Version, it said Adam knew his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And it's interesting that that same word, know, is the word that, that God uses to invite us to know him. If you look at the prophet Jeremiah, uh, God says this. He said, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they may have the understanding to know me. That's the same word, yada, that's used uh, in Genesis, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth for those, uh, for in this, these I delight, declares the Lord. And so we're talking about authentic love. We're talking about eros, authentic love, the, the true, uh, wonderful, rich expression that God is making available uh, to us. And true intimacy is not just sexual consummation. True intimacy it encompasses a, a whole comprehensive totality of knowing one another. It's about knowing each other, our likes, our dislikes, uh, reading our moods and understanding what's going on in our lives, our dreams, our, our goals, our values, our feelings. What makes me happy? What makes her happy? What makes her sad? What makes her feel loved and valued? These are the things we're talking about in terms of knowing each other. And most importantly, intimacy happens when our spouse knows that we love them and that they are the most important person in our lives. And I would say this this morning too, it's important for our spouse to know that we love them more than anything else and that we value them more than anything else. But it's also good for those around us in our lives to know that my spouse is number one. 
and that I am number one in her life. It's important for those people around us so that there's no question about what our values and what our priorities are. This morning, we want to talk about two vital components that lead to uh, a healthy expression of eros in our marriage, and, and, and they are trust and vulnerability. And Mary Margaret's going to start off with uh, talking to us about trust. So are you trustworthy? Ask yourself that. Are you trustworthy? Um, if you're in my small group, you know we spent a lot of time talking about that. Are we trustworthy as parents? But in your marriage, are you a trustworthy spouse? What does that look like? It's words like being consistent, being reliable, being safe. All of these create trust. Trust is the key to happiness in just about any relationship uh, that we're in. It enables our partner to share thoughts, feelings, actions without fear of shame or rejection. It isn't automatic for most of us. It's not a box to be checked, and it requires for both parties to be fully engaged in the process. It's not a one and done. Trust needs constant attention. It needs nurturing. It takes practice time and time and time. Again, we have to go back to that. Another way to ask this, am I safe with you and are you safe with me? Are we secure in each other's presence? So consistency and truth, that's part of being trustworthy. Our culture has moved way past the practice of um, airbrushing. John, if you remember, they're like, oh, we were like so opposed to body shaming. Like, oh, we're not going to do that. But we slid right into and embraced with our arms open wide um, filters. Y'all know you don't look like that. <laughs> like, what you do is stick your face in a bowl of Botox? Anyway, that's a whole other topic for a whole other time. I am judgmental in that. Okay, I would just go ahead and tell you, pray for me. But if we allow the, that culture to infiltrate our relationship, trust is impossible. Absolutely impossible. Culture is in constant flux. What was trending yesterday is canceled today. Are those the standards that are in our marriages? When trust is, oh well, um, sorry. Do we want what's best for our partner? We all have faults and limitations. And our marriages should be the place where these faults and limitations are not our value, but instead we're loved and accepted in spite of and along with those faults and, uh, faults and limitations. You know, when we take those vows, when we get married, we have no idea what we're saying. <laughs> we have no idea the commitment. We just, we don't. And, but every one of those, if you kind of go back through, if you had the traditional vows, if you kind of go back through them, those are every single gate that you go through, it builds trust more trust and more trust. It's like, okay, you, you were here for, with me for that, then I know that you can be here, with, here for me for that other thing. You know, when, for us, especially the, um, although in our wedding, our vows, uh, you know, the for richer or for poorer, Reese promised to take me for richer or for purer. <laughs> Sorry, I went the other way. <laughs> so. I'm the fun date. Anyway, so, for, but anyway, the, then the, in sickness and in health, 
you know, we had no idea 31 years ago that we were going to face um, miscarriages and infertility. That destroys marriages. So we had choices along that way. Are we going to keep doing this? Or this is just this an enormous amount of stress. Uh, you've heard Reese talk about when he went for his, uh, when his eye was causing so many problems. You know, every week I drove him to Emory. And the day that he couldn't see out of that eye, the oxygen went out of the room. Now, I had a choice. I could either go belly up or be the person. Now, also, we discovered, I think, then in great abundance that our sense of humor is terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. You walk, when you go to Emory, it's all bad. Okay, They're the best doctors. They're the best of everybody. So when you go there, that's the end of the line. And we would go into the waiting room, and everybody in there was, because this is an eye thing, everybody in there was either like 110, and their eye was falling out, or they were eight, and there was a javelin stuck in it. It was one or the other. And the first time, what I'm getting ready to tell you, came to my mind, I thought, I'm not, it's too, I can't say this. Then the next week when we went, I said, this is like the fool of Bethesda, you know. So <laughs> read your Bible, and you'll get the joke. But we also began just holding hands a whole lot. And so that terrible crucible of a time really became a time where I think that his trust in me grew. Not that I wasn't trustworthy before, but that's just one of those seminal times. And then five years ago when um, I had breast cancer, that was a drag, just let me tell you. Um, I had to rely on him for so much. I mean, it was just, I mean, taking care of the kids, taking care of me, take it, you know, and, you know, not only the physical stuff, but when you go through something traumatic, and lots of you have gone through traumatic things, you know, it's just your, your insides are a mess. You're, you just, you know, I've told you before how I sat right there and denied the existence of God. That's a rough time. And yet, here we are. Trustworthy, trustworthiness. When trust is absent, fear and distrust abound. Trust must be tended. Going back to the question, are we trustworthy? I want you to ask yourself, why or why not are you trustworthy? If we've learned from previous experiences that men or women uh, can't be trusted, we're bringing that into the marriage. It will affect our marriages. We are called to do the work. We may not be responsible for how we got to that place of distrust, but we are responsible for if we're going to stay there or if we're going to look for healing. Um, do you need healing prayer? Do you need a therapist? Do you need a spiritual director? Do you need the combo platter? <laughs> when we bury our hurts um, and we don't address them and we don't let the light of Christ shine on them, they just fester and our hearts harden. In the book, um, The Gift of Being Yourself, the analogy that the author uses is like a dark room, and we just shove all these wrong things we did, all these hurts, things that were wrong that were done to us, we just shove them in a room and close the door. And when we keep that room like that, those things have control over us, they suffocate us, they are just in charge of us because we spend all of our time and energy trying to keep everyone away from that door. But when that door is open, the light of Christ can shine on it, and the power is broken. 
the power is truly broken. God heals through prayer. He heals through medicine. If trust is an issue for you and your spouse, do not be afraid to ask why and do not be afraid to face the why. I want to read to you a, a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. And it's a prayer for it, if you would pray at a marriage, a wedding. Give them wisdom and devotion in ordering of their common life, that each may be to the other a strength in need, a counselor in perplexity, a comfort in sorrow, and a companion in joy. Amen. Amen. So Mary Margaret's talking about trust. I want to talk about vulnerability, because intimacy also requires vulnerability. Um, now, I know that vulnerability can be especially difficult for guys. Um, we're always expected to be strong. Uh, in our own minds, we are to be the problem solvers and the fixers. And, uh, and sometimes we're not always quick to engage in intimate conversation, are we? Uh, sometimes we just like to stay away from that. The vulnerability requires self-disclosing communication. And it's that thing of both men and women openly sharing our thoughts and our feelings with each other on an ongoing basis. And please make sure that you're doing this with your spouse and not the coworker, and not the, even though in this case we are coworkers, and that's cool, but, but make sure that, you know, a lot of times you're, we find ourselves, we're being very open and very vulnerable with the wrong people, and that can lead to some very unhealthy attachments that we need to avoid and, and, and that are not good for our marriages and for our relationships. Uh, it's really important that we take these risks uh, it's really important. Uh, they're risk worth taking. We always need to remember, uh, based on the foundation of trust, as we are trusting one another, and as Mary Margaret said, it's not a one and done thing, but as we, as we keep building on that, that foundation of trust, uh, we're going to always be more inclined to be vulnerable in a relationship that we have found to be safe that we have found to be, um, you know, with someone who loves us, uh, loves us unconditionally, selflessly, sacrificially, that agape love. Uh, I'm just going to be more apt to just share, you know, the reality of what's going on in my heart because she's seen me at my worst and she still loves me and she's still around. And, and so to know that I've got that. And, and since we're talking about Eros, let me just say this, uh, that intimate love that, that should be expressed sexually, it is important that we talk about our sex lives with our spouse, okay? And I realize that can be just a really tenuous kind of situation. Uh, you know, we don't want to get into some sort of performance mindset, but it's so important uh, if this is an important part of our, our marriage, and it is, and it should be that we're able to have good open conversations about how we're doing and the reality that, you know, we get older and things sometimes work differently. Yeah, how can I say that without my daughter and her friends cringing? But anyway, <laughs> um, it's, it's important that we, that we talk about that. This requires a tremendous uh, amount of vulnerability as one expressing the likes and dislikes. But I got to also say this, it requires a lot of vulnerability from the one having to listen and not getting defensive, right? Particularly guys. I mean, just in terms of just like, you love me, you're for me, I'm going to listen to you without putting defenses up and without feeling threatened through this conversation. 
Uh, it, 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 it does. It requires a lot of vulnerability. But we are so much more apt to be vulnerable in a relationship that's solidly built on commitment. We don't need, feel the need to earn their love. We have it already. We cherish it. We protect it. We continue to nurture it. And, and, and I, I know this person. I can trust them. And again, as Mary Margaret said, where trust has been broken And we know that there are times when it has, it's important to pursue healing, to seek to rebuild that trust. As we consider vulnerability in marriage, we always need to remember that God intended marriage intimacy to be expressed in this thing called oneness, in oneness. Uh, In Genesis chapter two, again, just going back to those first four chapters uh, in Genesis, the first four chapters in the Bible that really sets the stage for us. Uh, It says in Genesis two, verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh, one flesh. And interestingly, the same Hebrew word for one that we see here in Genesis talking about oneness in a marriage is the same word one that Moses uses to describe God himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's the same word. And that's because this Hebrew word for one, it refers to a composite unity, Uh, a composite unity, a unity that consists of more than just one entity or one person, but it produces a blending of persons into a beautiful mystery and a wonderful unity. The husband and the wife becoming one with the Holy Spirit. This is a wonderful work that the Holy Spirit loves to do, and it's a continual work if we will allow him to do that. Uh, you know, there is this thing of, of the, graying, you know, the, the graying of divorce. People who spend 20, 30 years married, 40 years married to each other, and, and all of a sudden they, they look at themselves one day and decide, you know what, I'm done with this. And, and, I, and I, that's, that's, that's frightening and that, that breaks my heart. And my prayer for every marriage in this church and every marriage that I know is that 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 continual oneness would just, that it would continue, that it would keep on occurring, being filled with the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit be that that third chord that brings us into tighter unity uh, with each other. Uh, In his book, Loving and Living, the late Trappist monk, Thomas Merton, he described the oneness this way. He said, a better view is that the love of Adam for Eve was originally meant as a communion and a diversity in oneness, which reflected the invisible God and a visible creation for God is love. And so this, the same oneness that Jesus prayed that the church would experience uh, in, in terms of the same oneness between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the kind of oneness that God wants to bring about in our marriages, and he will do it if we allow him, if we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. Uh, intimacy and oneness, they're, they're God's plan, and they are possible not because we're such good uh, husbands and wives, but because we're continually seeking the work of the Holy Spirit in our marriages. We're praying, Lord, bring your rule and reign. Let your kingdom come, your will be done. And God's will for us is that we would become more and more and more one. 
Uh, this, it, 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 it's vitally important that we continue self-giving, vulnerability. This doesn't threaten our individuality and our personhood. It actually enhances it. Intimacy. Yeah, these, these components of trust and vulnerability. So intimacy is defined with words like closeness, friendship, being private. Uh, this closeness is far from only physical. The sexual act, while physical, involves and affects us body, mind, and soul. We have long mistakenly believed that we can do things, that there's disconnection between these, that um, what our body does doesn't really affect all these other things, and that's just a giant untruth. Um, it doesn't matter what we... Um, whether it's our eating, our drinking, our exercise, our reading, sex, all of it, it all affects who we are as a person. C.S. Lewis said in Screw Tape Letters, um, you know, our bodies affect what our minds will do. Um, so again, it's just this, this idea that it's all interconnected. And this is true in healthy situations as well as unhealthy situations. For the unhealthy ones, there is healing, there is forgiveness, there is wholeness. No one gets it right all the time, every day, except for Jesus, and he wasn't sexually actualized. We can't, it's true, man. Um, we can't let Satan have the power over our past. Jesus either redeems everything or he redeems nothing. Amen. And we know he redeems everything. Again, Thomas Burton, I kind of fell in love with him while we were getting ready for this. I mean, not, you know, you know I just love Thomas Burton. <laughs> He, he's dead, so yeah. it's all right. Yet another... Yeah, he's right up there with C.S. Lewis now. I love you most. Thank you. Thank so. you. It's good to know. But in his book, Love and Living, he says, The act of sexual love should be by its very nature joyous, unconstrained, alive, leisurely, inventive, and full of special delight, which the lovers have learned by experience to create for one another. There is no more beautiful gift of God than the little secret world of creative love and expression in which two persons who have totally surrendered to each other manifest and celebrate their mutual gift. Amen. This can occur where there is trust. This can occur where there is vulnerability. We recognize that intimacy is a gift from God, and it's a very precious gift. He goes on to say, properly understood, sexual union is an expression of deep personal love and a means to the deepening, perfecting, and sanctifying of that love. Our culture looks at sex and love as a deal to be made. And typically, there's always a better deal. Or that's what the marketing of every social media platform would have us believe. And that is a lie. That's the epitome of selfish. Instead, the uninhibited erotic marital love is not a deal to be traded on or bargained with. It cultivates our spirituality and becomes an act of worship. It is a positive force that leads us to contentment and not only the well-being of our lover, but it extends well beyond that. Feeling love and giving love enables us to be more aware of the needs of those around us. It moves us to be other-centered, which is the very core of the gospel. When we are engaged in this kind of healthy relationship, here's what is likely to happen. You will be more attuned to the needs, the joys, and the sufferings of others, more readily to abide by spiritual values like compassion, humility, tolerance, equality, 
Freedom, Respect, Forgiveness, Wisdom, and Love. That is from Larry, Larry Culliford from Psychology Today. So when we are taking care of that, we are taking care of all of this. Yeah. I want to read one more little tiny prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. Give them such, and again, this is a you know, prayer that we pray at a wedding. Give them such fulfillment of their mutual affection that they may reach out in love and concern for others. Amen. So there are a lot of things that get in the way of intimacy, but they, and I'm not going to take the time to go into all of them. We all have our own list, but they all go under the heading of selfishness. Now, I did not have to take any classes on selfishness when I was a kid. I don't know about you. Maybe you had to have lessons, private lessons on how to be selfish. I didn't. Uh, and I don't think many, any of us did. It comes quite naturally, uh, just this, this thing of, of, of being selfish. Uh, it means an exclusive consideration of my time, my money, my resources, my energy. And just let me remind you, when you, when we got married, we all gave up the right to such exclusivity. That's just the way it is, and it's a blessing, and it's a good thing. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have the right to spend time and energy and money on ourselves. It just means that this right is exercised in a mutual agreement. It's something that we decide together that's going to be best for our marriage, our family. And as Mary Margaret said, it'll have ripple effects of goodness that will go even beyond. And I just want to say that as we apply principles and actions that cultivate intimacy in our marriage, sexual expression, it's going to follow. It's going to follow naturally, regularly, spontaneously. It is about the prayer, Lord, uh, let your active rule and reign come into every part of my life. Every part of my life, my, my spiritual well-being, my physical well-being, my relational, emotional well-being, my financial well-being, my sexual well-being. Because uh, the kingdom of God is marked by what? It's not about uh, what we eat or what we drink, but it is an experience of God's joy, of his peace, of his presence coming and setting things right in our lives. And why would we not want that to be the case uh, in, in our lives of intimacy, in our sex lives. It's about bringing and praying, oh, Lord, bring your kingdom, bring your kingdom to, to my marriage, to my family, to every part, every expression. Bring your kingdom to our communication. Uh, bring your kingdom to uh, just uh, all of our interactions, the way we love each other and express that love and the way we lead together our family, uh, the way we do that together. And that is a prayer that God will honor. It is also so vitally important to know that, that we've all sinned and we've missed the mark and that there is healing. There is wholeness that God has for every single one of us. I don't know why it is. Uh, you know, it, it, let's face it, the, the effects of, of, of sexual sin, they, 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 they have all kinds of very destructive marks on our lives. But God, is, his love, his mercy, his grace is greater than those. And, and I want you to know that this is, Vineyard Church of Augusta is a safe place. It is a place that we want healing for every part of your life. And we want to experience healing for every part of our brokenness. 
And so I'm so thankful that, that, that people had conversations and they've received prayer that in, in, in safe, confidential settings about things that, that they've done, but also things that have been done to them. And God is bringing about healing and he's bringing about wholeness. And we want to see more and more and more of that. And I'm thankful that this is a place where that can take place.